Wow. Y'all look a lot different up here than you do down there. I just want to tell you that. Um, hey, I, I, I'm John White, and I, I want to start by thanking the elders for letting me talk to you all tonight about hope. And we started talking, David Shannon and I did, probably about six months ago about Orphan Sunday. And as he talked this morning, it's a newer thing that's starting to catch on, and November is National Adoption Awareness Month. And Orphan Sunday is a call to get churches to focus on their role in the life of an orphan. And so as we talked, and David and the elders talked, it was, hey, let's talk about it, but let's have a, a lesson or a sermon involved in it. And so we're going to talk about hope. And um, so my question for you is, do you have hope? Do you have both eternal hope and earthly hope? Do you understand the difference? Do you have hope of a lifetime with God while you're here and after you're gone? Do you hope that your parents will be around tomorrow? Do you hope that you'll have dinner tomorrow night? See, hope's a strange thing. When you have it, you easily take advantage of it. You forget. You forget things like you don't have to hope if you get to eat. You don't have to hope if mom will be there to tuck you in. But when you don't have it, you're crippled. It'll stop you. What if I told you today there's 153 million children in the world that are without hope? Is that okay? Deuteronomy 10 and 17 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. I want to read you from the, the group that started Orphan Sunday. This is their statement. Christians around the globe celebrate the love of the one and only true God who defends the cause of the fatherless and calls us to do the same. We're going to talk tonight that God's very clear on caring for orphans. He doesn't give us an or. He doesn't say worship me or care. He doesn't say go to church or care. He says and care. Ultimately, Orphan Sunday hopes to show God's true character in the gospel itself to make it visible as God's people explore and respond to his heart for the orphan in either adoption, foster care, or ministry to the orphans. So what are we going to focus? Today we're going to focus on hope. Why hope? I'm going to tell you why my reason to choose this word today. We're going to understand hopelessness through the eyes of children. You're going to meet children tonight. I'm going to give you a name and a face. It won't be easy. We're going to define hope biblically. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're going to define this word that means so much. We're going to talk about what a life with hope looks like. Both from a Christian perspective and an orphan. And we're going to talk about our role as Christians in, in the life of an orphan. So let's talk about facts because everybody likes numbers. UNICEF says there's 153 million orphans in the world. 153 million. There's 120,000 orphans in America today. There's 400,000 children living in America without a permanent home. And 100,000 of those are ready to be adopted. They're just waiting. 
there's 23,000 U.S. children age out of foster care every year and hit the streets without a family. Think about what you were doing at 18. Were you ready? With nothing to go? There's a million orphans in China that they know of. 98% of those kids have some type of a medical condition. The old days of China being a bunch of healthy baby girls that they didn't want, those are gone. Now what's happened is the orphanages are taking in the medically complex children because it keeps them funded. It keeps them with jobs. That's good news because they're not dying anymore. But that's what's out there. Folks, we have a crisis on our hands. One that could be even bigger. There's been 58,586,256 abortions in the United States since Roe v. Wade. China came out recently and admitted to 336 million abortions in the same time frame. People who are connected in China will tell you they put that number closer at a half a billion because of the one child policy and because the illegal, the illegal, it's illegal to dump a child in China. So imagine if I told you that we would have had a half a billion children in this world that were born that have been aborted, i.e. they weren't wanted. Crisis multiplied. Pro-life is not pro-birth. Pro-life is pro-life. And that's what God calls us to do. So several months ago, Wayne Miller was teaching a series in our Bible class on holy words. And David Burka asked me to teach a class because Wayne was on one of his um, trips. And, and many words went through my mind. What am I going to talk about? What am I going to pick? And most of those words, is no surprise, centered around this, this adoption world that we're in today. And then I've got to hope. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit about me. Um, for a long time, I wouldn't have called myself a very good person. The scary part is I thought I was. You know people like that? They think they're doing all the right things, but in, in their true core, they're not a very good person. I thought I was nice, loving, kind, giving, etc. And I could be all of those things, but it wasn't who I was. What I was was selfish, materialistic, generally vindictive, etc. Today, I'm broken in so many ways, but I'm thankful, I'm blessed, and most of all, I'm hopeful. I chose the word hope today because I have zero doubt in my heart that God put us on this path, either all or in part, I don't know, to show me that while you think you are great, if you're not living His will and doing what He told you to do, you're not meeting expectations. You have to serve him as he intends. It's not a choice. Why do I say all that? I say that to, see, to say this. I've seen hopeless. Did I see it in a window or did I see it in a mirror? The short answer is, is both. What do I mean by mirror and a window? In the 90s, in the early 90s, if you had a good experience at a restaurant or a service, you told one person. If you had a bad experience, you told about 10 people. Some smart people at Harvard redid that study. Now it's if you have a good experience, you tell 289 people. And if you have a bad experience, you tell 3,000. Welcome to the internet. 
We have a re- we've, we've become a society that's really good at looking out the window and telling everybody what we see that's wrong. And yet it's really hard to look in the mirror and figure out where you are. So the short answer is I saw it in both. Adopting one child won't change the world. But for that one child, the world will change. We get this question, why do you do this? You can't save them all. If you don't know, we've adopted three. And Lord willing, in the next nine or ten weeks, we'll add two more. You can't save them all. I get it. I do. Our family doesn't look normal. Right? We don't act normal. We don't look normal. Nobody lives at Vanderbilt five days a week. Right? We invite grief, which sounds odd. It's a common question that we get. It's a common question that families who are larger get. There's a, there's a group on Facebook of large families with adopted kids. The requirement to get in is you have to have five kids or more. You ought to hear some of the things that these people come and get support about that are said to them. I get it. We're different. By the way, this is not our story. I've said this over and over again. If you know me, you've heard me say it. Andrew and I aren't special. We're not special. We're not unique. The only thing that separates us from you is we get a front row seat to watch God work every single day in the life of these kids. And you all get to see it when sporadically. That's the only difference. But it's not our story. It's so many people's story. I look around this room and I see people who have adopted. I see people who were once orphans. I see people who support when no one else does. I see people that you would never think of that call you and say, Hey, I just wanted to let you know, I hope today's better than yesterday. This is his story. It's God's because he is special. I do have to warn you, I'm going to introduce you to some children and these slides aren't easy to look at. So just be prepared. The first child I'm going to introduce you to, his name is Dusty. Dusty is a little boy with Down syndrome. The picture I'm going to show you is of him sitting on a doctor's bed here in America. Too many countries today consider kids with Down syndrome to be unwanted. They're outcasts. They're unadoptable. In China, to adopt a child with Down syndrome, you have to fight for that child to get a file prepared. Because their answer is, why would anybody want this kid? This is Dusty. Dusty six. What do you see when you look at this picture? You see frail. You see underfed. You see him as, as he doesn't have the right nutrients. You see a stomach that's very bloated. That's because he was getting food like he had never had before. All in liquid form. Because he didn't know how to chew. You see him holding a toy and not really knowing what to do with it. It's not uncommon for children of this age to not understand what a toy is. Now I'm going to introduce you to Katie. Katie came from an orphanage in Bulgaria. That's Katie. That's what she looked like in her crib in Bulgaria where she most likely spent about 23 hours and 30 minutes a day for her entire life. As well, she was underfed, undernourished, and underloved. This is her father holding her. In the hotel room after the adoption, they had a feeding tube inserted into her nose to start to give her some nutrients. At this point, her life was about to change, yet she didn't know it. She's nine years old. 
Ryan's the hardest one. The picture I'm going to show you, Ryan's seven years old. He weighs 11 pounds. This picture was taken at Vanderbilt Children's Hospital. They landed. They got in an ambulance. They went to Children's. That's why. Seven years old, 11 pounds. Ryan now lives in Tennessee, by the way. And if you want to follow his story, let me know. On July 27, 2014, our family arrived at the Atlanta airport with a kiddo we had hosted for five weeks, and we called him Joe. Joe was diagnosed with mild cerebral palsy, although we knew within minutes that his muscle weakness was not wild, and we started advocating for him, for someone to adopt him. Nine days later, we knew he was our son. Here he is taking a bath with Sam. He's the bigger of the two, by the way. Here's a picture of Joe. If you know him, he's now Christopher, and you know that this is what he looks like just about every minute of every day. He smiles when he's sleeping. This picture was taken two hours before the next picture I'm going to show you. We showed up at the airport. We had been telling him for two weeks he had to go back. See, we hosted him. He came and he lived with us for four and a half weeks. He had to go back. Yet he didn't understand, partially because he was deaf, partially because he just didn't have the ability to, to comprehend it. We arrived at the airport, all was well. He looked similar to this. He's laughing, he's having fun. His orphanage director and a few of the kids showed up, and that's what he looked like. Ladies and gentlemen, this is without hope. This is what it looks like to know you're going back to a place where you have no hope. He shut down. We were blessed, and we got to go have lunch together without anybody else. He perked back up. As soon as we handed him over, he yelled, he screamed, he scratched, he clawed. He just wanted to stay. He did not want to go back. I will tell you that two and a half years later, Andrea was driving him home from here one night, and he was talking about China and how they were mean to him. And she said, I'm sorry, buddy, they were mean to you. We love you, and we like you, and we're glad you're here. And he said, yeah, the first time you didn't like me, you sent me back. He was five. Children need hope. Leah. This picture was taken minutes after we met her in March of 2015. The hand you see is Riley extending a hand of comfort and touch. While she was at the best place to be in China, if you're going to be an orphan, she still was missing something. You can see it in her eyes. She was missing a family. And then I'm going to tell you about me. That's my wedding with my sister, my bride, and my stepmom. Seven weeks before this picture was taken, I got what I thought would be the worst phone call in my entire life. I got a call that my father had died. He had taken his own life. I was hopeless. You may ask, why am I talking about me when we're supposed to be talking about orphans? I was an orphan. I have the best mom and stepdad in the entire world. So I was an orphan in a spiritual way. I did not know God. I didn't understand his love, I didn't understand his desire, and I did not know his plan. I had no hope. I had nothing to hope in and no future to hope for. Grieving without hope is impossible. You can't do it and, and, and overcome it. I've seen the low, a downward spiral of depression, suicidal thoughts, and plenty of threats, anger, lack of trust, and general disgust for life. Sure. The lack of a church family to love with you, pray on you, cook for you, all of the things that you all do is a tremendous deficit, but no hope finds the bottom of the basement. This was my mirror. 
My window was the first time we went to China and we walked through an orphanage. You get one of three things when you walk through an orphanage in China. You get an orphanage like Sam's that's state-of-the-art and beautiful and clean. It has facilities that would make you think you're at Vanderbilt Children's Hospital. What it's missing is children. But there's 900 of them there. You don't see them. The only children you see are the ones that are in special care units that are funded and paid for by Christian organizations. You don't see the rest. Or you go to a place like Chris's. Chris had a bag of 300 dum-dums. He handed out every one of them. One child, one out of 300, went to Chris to get a dum-dum. The rest, he had to go to them. They had no hope. That was my window. So tonight, that's my dad, by the way. So tonight, we're going to define hope as to trust in, wait for, look for, desire something or someone, or to expect something beneficial in the future. The Old Testament defines hope as both a verb and a noun, depending on the context. Twenty-seven times the, word, the, the, the Greek word that's a verb comes into the Greek Testament to mean to wait, to be patient, or to endure. When suffering is present, the term may indicate the individual is bearing affliction while waiting for the Lord's deliverance. Psalm 40 is a good example. Hope in the noun form in the Old Testament means an expectation. That's way too small, sorry. I'll read them to you. Sorry about that. So the first one is trust in. Remember the definition we're using, trust in. This is Jeremiah 14, 22. Do any of the worthless idols bring rain? Do the skies themselves send down showers? No, it is you, Lord our God. Therefore, our hope is in you, for you are the one who does all this. We're going to wait for, in Psalm 40 and 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, David said. He turned to me and heard my cry. We're going to look for, in Isaiah 49, kings will be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. They'll bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. Then you will know that I am Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. We're going to desire something or someone in Jeremiah 50. Whoever found them devoured them, their enemy said. We are not guilty. They sinned against their Lord, their verdant pasture, the Lord, the hope of their ancestors. Their ancestors had hope in the Lord. And then something beneficial in the future in Psalm 69, may those who hope in you not be disgraced. Hope and trust go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. God is the true object of hope. Occasionally there are others. No surprise, they circle back to God. One may put one's hope in his steadfast love, in his ordinances, and in his word. A number of passages we have in the Old Testament warn us of things not to put our trust in. The list will sound familiar as I told you who I was previously. In riches, in idols, in foreign powers, in military might, in princes, and in other humans. Think about that for a minute. The Bible warns us not to put our hope in others. Our hope belongs in one place. Hope is the proper response to the promises of God. Some examples. Abraham serves as a prime example. Even though he was very old, he had confidence that God would fulfill his promises. In Romans chapter 4, he says, Against all hope, or it was said, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Against all hope, he believed. Like Abraham, we can trust in his promises. And Hebrews tells us we want to seize the hope set before us. 
you get to choose hope. You may see a lot of black t-shirts running around with the big words on the back of them that say choose hope. And we'll talk about those in a minute. But it is a choice that you get to make. It's been laid in front of you. More generally, we're told that scriptures engender hope in Romans. The Holy Spirit is a source of hope, for His power causes hope to abound. Again, in Romans. And finally, in 2 Thessalonians, hope comes as a gift from God through grace. So what does hope lead to in the New Testament? It leads to joy. Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. It leads to boldness in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Are you bold? Because to go do what God asks us to do, we have to be bold in our hope. You can't waver. In Colossians, we learn about faith and love. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. It's the faith and love that come from the hope stored up for you. And hope also leads to comfort. We're to encourage one another with the knowledge of the resurrection. Hope has a sanctifying effect. We who look expectantly for the return of Christ know that when we see Him, we should become like Him. In 1 John, he says, All who have this hope in Him purify themselves just as He is pure. Hope is close to God. You're getting yourself closer and closer. So now we're going to talk about those children that you met earlier. I'm going to give you an update. That's Dusty. This is after Dusty being home with a family. Do you see the difference in his eyes? The physical is true. Look at his eyes. Look at his smile. He's, he's wanting to go outside most likely here. This is what a family does. After watching Sam grow and develop like he did so quickly, Andrew and I would always say, love and protein. That's what an orphan needs is love and protein. Love and protein change kids' lives. Look at Katie. Five months, folks. That is five months from the picture on the left to the picture on the right. The tube that you see in her nose is an NG tube. It hooks to a pump and it makes sure that she gets the food down into her body. Remember, she's nine. She can't swallow. But yet, look at her. Look at her eyes. Look at her reactions. Katie, like Dusty and Sam, show us that it is more than love and protein. It's also hope. Surely these children can understand an eternal hope. But God has a plan. God has a plan when we're born. He gives us the inherent ability to trust our parents to make decisions in the best interest of me. The thing is, is he never intended the earthly parents to get in the way of him being the eternal parent, of him being the ultimate father. When that cycle, though, when you need the earthly parents to give you the things in life to get you to the point where you can understand who he is, and when that cycle is broken, his plan is failed. I'm not arguing that God didn't intend for Katie to be an orphan. I don't know. But I do know that God doesn't want orphans. And I know the orphans that are there, he wants us to take care of them. Remember Ryan? That's Ryan. 
Ryan's currently fundraising to build a, a room in his house that allows him to have the therapies that he needs in order to be successful in life. He is full of hope. That's Christopher. That was taken right here amongst you. Eight years old, full of love, joy, humor, and hope. Chris reminds us every day about what's important. A kid who has every right to be mad at the world and trust no one never shows those behaviors, ever. He is full of hope today. And our Leah. This was taken a few weeks before she joined God. Again, somebody that could be mad at the world. But she wasn't. She'd been home about three and a half months when this picture was taken. She'd been cut on and beat up at Vanderbilt for 23 days. And for the first time in her life, she sat up on her own. When our believing friends and relatives die, we grieve in hope of the Lord's return. Unlike unbelievers who have no hope. When my dad died, I didn't understand hope. I had nothing to turn to. I had nowhere to go. That's what's on Leah's headstone. It has her name and at the bottom in Chinese in Mandarin it says Wa'aini, which is I love you. On the right it says I'm not afraid to grieve. I'm afraid of what would happen to these children if no one took the risk to love them. When Leah died, I had and still have a tremendous amount of hope. Why? I know she's in heaven. I'm 100% sure of it. I am more sure that she's in heaven than I'm actually almost done with this talk. I know she's whole and complete. I know she wants for nothing and she hurts for nothing. I know that I'll see her again. I have that hope. I cannot for the life of me believe that God kept her alive for three years through everything that he kept her alive through. She was in hospice care for 18 months in rural China. And then on the last day at the last moment, he forgot about her in that ambulance at Summit. He doesn't work that way. It's not in his nature. So I have to have hope that whatever her plan was, was fulfilled to glorify him. Because he promises that hope. I don't know why he took her, but I trust him. I have hope. And yet as we head out on the adoption trail again to adopt two little girls, a six-year-old and a two-year-old, that from all, intense, from all reports we have, you will meet and hear very soon because they're both loud and strong-willed. They both also have really bad hearts. And yet we're not afraid. Because we have hope. James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before the God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What can you do to help? I read something earlier today. It said, not everyone should adopt, not everyone should foster. But it is in his DNA to care for the vulnerable. So what is your peace? I'll give you some ways. You can pray. It's a great place to start. You can adopt, but I will warn you, it is not for everyone. 
Once again, we're not special or unique. It's just the way we've chosen to go about this. If you want to learn more about that, I encourage you to talk to your friends, your family, people who have adopted, and a social worker. Get to know it inside now. You can encourage people who, are, who are, have adopted. You can encourage orphans. You can have empathy for people. You can go visit orphanages. The only caution I'll give you is an orphanage is not a tourist destination. Don't go to make yourself feel good. Go to get engaged. You can foster kids. I think this is harder than adopting, although I've never done it. You can bring meals. You can offer respite care for people who adopt children who have medical needs. You can avoid the temptation to judge and gossip. We get enough of it to our face. Why would you do that? You can mentor people who have adopted. If you've raised kids successfully, come talk to us. We want to hear from you. If you've raised kids with medical challenges, come talk to us. You can financially support adoptive families. Those Choose, Choose Hope shirts, that's $3,000 raised to help bring the girls home. That's what they are. And tonight after service, everybody's gone. We're going to gather, we're going to take a big picture, and we're going to send it to the girls so they know that a bunch of people here are cheering them on. And lastly, you can love. I've never seen love like I have since we've adopted. Love the night that we had Leah's service in this room. Love when somebody here comes and picks my son, Chris, up and takes him to dinner on their own one-on-one -on -one, one -on -one just because he wanted to go hang out with him. Love that comes and sits at a hospital and holds your hand. Psalm 68.5 says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. David's going to come up and give an invitation here in just a minute. The two questions that I want you to think about while he's doing that is, do you have hope or are you an orphan to God? Are you currently fatherless? Not in an earthly way, in a spiritual way. Because if you are, there's a way to fix that. And are you like I was? Are you lost without any hope? Thank you. John, thank you very much for a challenging lesson. Uh, John and Andrew, you guys mean a lot to us. We love you. We appreciate so much who you are and what you do. There are several other families here uh, that make such a great difference in the lives of children through adoption and foster care and through support and continual encouragement and through ways of reaching out that perhaps none of us even know about. As John already mentioned, tonight's lesson is not to make anyone feel guilty to say you ought to adopt, but it is to say to every one of us, every one of us from God's word are taught to care and to make a difference in the lives of orphans. As John mentioned, that's, that's not an option for children of God. That's what children of God do. I want to join in with John and encourage you to have in your daily prayers, but have in various avenues of your life ways that you make a difference in the lives of children that are so desperately hurting. How do you prepare a son to become a king? If that was your responsibility, how would you prepare a son to become a king? It's interesting in Proverbs, the 31st chapter, we oftentimes concentrate on verse 
uh, 10 down to the end about the virtuous woman, which is a good concentration. But do you remember the first nine verses? It's Lemuel's mother teaching him about one day he's going to be a king. And here's some things that you need to do in your life. And I just want to read to you verse 8 and 9 as we close. She says to her son in preparation of being a king, open your mouth for the speechless and the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously and plead the cause of the poor and needy. One group in society that is speechless and is among the poor and the needy are children without their parents. We can't control and we can't stop all the children from becoming orphans. But we can stop them remaining as orphans. I want to encourage you to have a burden. I hope that when you think about the millions of children tonight that don't have a mother and father, I would hope that you can't leave here without being brokenhearted. Because it's people with a burden in their heart that makes a difference for those that are hurting. And what's ironic in the way God works is it's more blessed to give than to receive. And the more you and I can give and to help this need, the greater blessing will be ours in giving. As we extend this invitation, I think about something that I think the first time I heard it, my mother said it. I'm sure she wasn't the first one to say this. But she said, over the entranceway into heaven ought to be a sign that says, hope fulfilled. And over the entranceway into hell ought to be a sign that says, hopeless. Tonight, every one of us are on a road and every road has a destination. But every one of us are only on one road. Some tonight are on a road that the end of that road is hope fulfilled. There might be someone here that's on a road and the end of that road is hopelessness. There is no hopelessness like being separated from God for an eternity. We're about to sing a song of encouragement and I want to encourage you to think about what road you're on and what's your destination. And why would you choose to live a life of hopelessness when a loving father is willing to adopt you and fulfill your hope? That's what we want for children, but that's what God wants for you. If it's to be adopted and you're ready to be baptized into God's family and to, into Christ and be adopted by God, or tonight you're ready to be restored, 
We would rejoice with the Father if we can help you come as